I heard a crash. And then a minute or two later, I heard yelling. I was walking up North Avenue to go to lunch around the corner at North Peachtree, working in Midtown down here, close to Spring Street. I hear a lot of people yelling at each other, and I hear crashes three or four times a year. But I was walking toward the crash and yelling. And when I got there, there were two cars that were parked at a really unnatural angle, and I saw that the front of them was, uh, both cars was dented in. And there were two people standing outside the driver's side of the car, screaming at each other at the top of their lungs. Their fists balled up. Something was going to happen following this fender bender. And I looked across the street, and there was a young man in a big SUV, I remember, and he was kind of above the action, and he was holding his phone out the window, videoing the whole thing and laughing out loud, kind of shaking his head. I guess thinking that he was going to get to video a fight and put it up on Facebook later or something. And I wasn't exactly blameless either because I stood there and I I, I stared. And I don't remember wanting to be especially helpful or feeling bad for the people in this accident even. I just remember thinking, wow, and I thought my day was bad today. Their misfortune had made me feel better. And who doesn't do this sort of thing? Who doesn't rubberneck? Who doesn't gawk at other people's misfortune? An entire industry has been built online and on TV around uh, watching videos of people doing really embarrassing, awful things or having awful things done to them. I mean, rubbernecking and gawking isn't nice. It's not polite, but I mean, come on, we all do it, don't we? If you go up 75 during rush hour and you go by the accident, even if there's not an accident on your side of the road, everyone slows down and looks at it. And we even say to ourselves, at least I do, in one way or another, better them than me. And today when we read uh, our, our scripture readings today, we probably rubberneck a bit as well. And if we're at all sensitive to what's going on in them, it's smart for us and reasonable for us to say better them than me when we read about Peter and Moses. Peter, wow, he gets what a good southerner would call a good blessing out from Jesus. Get thee behind me, Jesus says to Peter. Can you imagine being scolded by Jesus? And remember that just prior to this, Jesus has said, Peter, you get it. You're my man. The keys to the kingdom are handed to you. You can unloose things on earth or they're unloosed in heaven. You get it. Peter didn't quite get it, though. He shows his ignorance. And, and when Jesus talks about what it means for him to be the Messiah, that he is going to take up his cross, that he's going to suffer at the hands of the authorities, Peter says, whoa, not, not, not quite Jesus. What are you doing? And this makes Jesus so angry that he calls him a name. He says, get behind me, enemy adversary. Peter, I am going to do something different in the world, he says to them. 
And that means you are going to have to do something different too. Ouch. And then Moses. Moses is in a pretty nice part of his life, I would imagine, after the first part. You know, living in the courts of Pharaoh. Uh, He was on the run for a while uh, from Pharaoh. And now he's married. He's settled down. We think maybe for a long time he's, he's taking care of sheep, enjoying having a home and a family and being a shepherd. And then Moses smells smoke. He sees smoke. He sees God. And again, if we're smart, we shake our heads because Moses gets called out then by a talking pyrotechnic shrubbery. Again, we ought to shake our heads and think better him than me. Because God orders him, Moses, take off your shoes. Moses, listen, you're going to go into enemy territory. You're going to go back to Egypt where you've run away from. And not only are you going to go back to Egypt, you're going to go back to Egypt and set all the children of Israel free. And not only are you going to do that, you're going to do that by walking right up to Pharaoh, a man that probably wants you dead, and you're just going to say, let him go. You, Moses. Of course, Moses responds as any reasonable person would respond. He comes up with a litany of excuses, just like I would do. It won't work. God. Uh, or, and he says, no one will listen and no one will believe who you are. No one will know who you are. And he even uh, makes an argument and says he, he can't talk. You know, he, says he, he says, I don't have the skills to do this. But then notice what God does. God tells him to pick up his staff and said, well, well here's all the tools you need is this stick. A stick, mind you. And God says, I'll be with you. I am the God who has always existed. I am who I am, Moses. I am going to go with you. So turn your feet towards Egypt and set my people free, Moses. Moses, you, Moses, you are going to be something different in the world for me. God calls Moses out. But we are wrong if we think that we just get to rubberneck and think better them than me. They're not just nice stories. No. Moses and Peter, they are us, friends. God is calling us to be something different in this world, just like she called Moses and Peter. We see smoke, don't we? It's not from burning bushes, but it's from burning buildings, from tear gas, from riots and war. We see smoke coming from the aftermath of of fear and violence and hate. In the midst of that is our holy ground. In the midst of that is our Egypt, the place where God is calling us to go and set people free, and love enemies, and be last so we can be first, where God is calling us to take up our crosses, where God is calling us to go and get busy, where God is promising us you will go with us into this land, and empower us to look at the world as it might be, as it can be, instead of thinking how it is, we'll just stay the same. Go get busy.
And there are many people who have heard this call and have heeded it. We sang the words of one of them today in our hymn, uh, Saint Fran- uh, the, the words of the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. And we have folks like that living today. There's a young man named Shane Claiborne who started a spiritual community up in Philadelphia uh, called The Simple Way. And I don't know Shane personally, but I've read a lot of his books, and I, I enjoy using his prayer book he wrote um, for The Simple Way. And Shane, I believe, knows a bit of what it looks like to be called and to go out and be different in the world. He and his friends lived together in a series of row houses in the middle of an economically depressed neighborhood. And you know, they don't do anything all that earth-shattering except live there and use their education and pray and use their cultural power to help folks in a neighborhood that has and might have otherwise been forgotten. So I was relieved to see that, that Shane weighed in on recent events in Ferguson, Missouri. He writes sometimes on the the God's Politics blog on Sojourners. And he tells a story about about how uh, growing up as as a white person in rural Tennessee, his encounters with authority were always very positive. And he saw the world through a certain kind of window, he said. And and that, that world was very pleasant for him in rural Tennessee. But then after he was inspired by some teachers at Eastern University, in particular a man named Tony Campolo, uh, and he moved to this Philadelphia slum with this crazy idea of being God's presence in this neighborhood by living there with mostly uh, poor folks and a lot of African-American folks. He said that his window changed. He talks about some of the things that he's seen. He says, I've seen dark-skinned girls taken into custody because they had on the wrong color t-shirt. He says, we've had our house raided by mistake and a sting operation gone awry with officers throwing people to the ground and ripping one woman's t-shirt nearly off. Then he says, uh, tragically, We saw a mentally ill homeless man shot to death as he hid behind a metal chair. It would be easy for Shane to just shake his fist at all these things and be angry and cynical and say, well, the world is just this way and it's horrible and we're doing our bit to change that. But Shane doesn't despair. No, Shane frequently sees God present even in this conflict. And he sees how we are called to be different. He says that we need to look out the window with new eyes now and see God's people on both sides of tension and conflict in the world. Because he says when we do that, hope happens. God happens. Another memory that he talks about is he says, one of my favorite memories involving police in Philadelphia was when one of the officers started playing wiffle ball with kids only instead of the bat. They used his billy club. It was cops versus kids in billy club baseball. I'm not sure who scored the most points, but I know this. Everybody won that day. Then he concludes with, let's dream of a world where billy clubs are only used for baseball. 
It's hard. It's easy to come up with a list of excuses. It's easy to talk about how bad it is and to be hopeless. This laying down of our cross is an awful prospect sometimes. This taking up orders from God and being called is no small matter. But we are called. So before I turned away to go to lunch, I felt this tug on my sleeve. I was wearing one of these uh, black clergy shirts. And um, I noticed this woman tugging on my sleeve. And I remember uh, she was a little bit smaller than me. She had dreadlocks. She was wearing bright, brightly colored clothes. Pretty sure they were orange. And she just looked at me. We had this moment between us, and she said, I got that one, you take that one. (laughs) I remember thinking, what? I had no idea what she was talking about for a moment. And so I saw her walking towards this very upset woman in the middle of Peachtree Street with her hands up like this, you know, getting traffic to dodge her. And I saw her look across at that man and point at him and kind of make a sign like this. I think she said a couple other things to him, too. So, following her example and remembering some of the nonviolent change classes I'd taken in seminary, put my hands up and walked towards this very upset lady, and she even yelled at me a couple of times. And so I just stood there for a minute, not knowing what to do, and finally I said, well... Can we move your car? And she turned the wheel, and she could move it enough to pull it down the street off of Peachtree and get it out of traffic where we'd be safe. And and, um, then she sat there for a minute, and I just kind of stood there with her waiting for the police to come, you know. And um, we talked for a second, and, and she was crying, and she had a couple of kids in the back seat, and I feared she was upset because, you know, wrecks are scary. And she said, you know, how am I ever going to pay for this? And so, you know, going into problem-solving mode, I said, well, let me see. She just rented the car, she shared with me. I said, let me see your rental policy. So she handed me the little packet, and I flipped through it, and I noticed that she bought all the insurance she needed. So I said, look, you got insurance. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And she seemed somewhat relieved at that. And then the tears continued, and she said, this has been the worst day. I just flew in from Minnesota, and my mother died. I'm here for a funeral. I didn't have anything to say to her. What could I say that would make her feel better? I mean, I didn't even want to walk out into the street. So I just sat there for a little while, and then a really nice, sweet lady came. A police officer came and took care of her. And I gave her my card, and I said, I work down there. You know, if I can help you, come find me. And I went my way. But you know... I got called in that moment by that woman who tugged me on the arm. I don't think I would have walked out there. And I even had a who me moment. And I had no idea that I even had the skills to deal with this. We all have to walk into the wrecks, though. And sometimes we need a little push. Do it. We need a burning bush. We need a scolding from Jesus. We need a young lady in an orange t-shirt with dreadlocks. 
Because in that moment is everything. Because within that moment, when we step out into the intersection, that moment contains who we really are. That moment contains what this world is really created to be. In that moment, there's not a cynical view of the harshness of the world, but perhaps hope in what the world is becoming. The world's recreation is God's kingdom. Now this is hard. And if you were to ask me what we need to do to step towards Egypt, to step out of the intersection, and to take up our crosses and follow Jesus, I would say to you, friends, therein lies our journey together. But we are called to walk out and to do something different in the world. Here we are.